Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. When that foot has cannot resupernate or create that arch, we are going to start to stress the small, small facet joints in the low back. And that whole fascial chain that literally goes from your big toe to the opposite side cervical spine is impacted along the way. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Access to functional or specialized medicine testing and standard blood work is a big piece of personalizing care plans to help our clients succeed. But getting accounts with multiple labs and ordering and tracking results from many different web portals slows efficiency by bogging us down in admin work. This is why I'm completely obsessed with our podcast sponsor, Rupa Health. It's a single portal that allows you to order from over 20 specialty labs in one incredibly simple dashboard. I'm talking less than 30 seconds to set up your free account and about 30 seconds to order the labs you need. All the results are in one place and I can securely send clients their results with the click of a button. A big advantage for our clients is that standard blood work can be ordered for almost two thirds less than other direct to consumer lab sites. Rupa is a lab concierge, so they send the lab invoices on your behalf if a client pays for their own labs. They help them get set up with a lab draw, navigate testing questions, and they provide the requisition forms. It's literally a dream. Go sign up for free to help streamline your practice and simplify ordering labs for your clients at rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com and let them know I sent you when you sign up. You can also check out the show notes for this episode for a short video walkthrough of how I use Rupa Health in my own practice. All right. Today I've got return guest, Kelsey Dobish, Dr. Kelsey Dobish. Last time she was here, we were talking about vaginas. And actually, I'm not sure if that's what we were talking about, but we were definitely no. talking about, well, I thought we were, it was core health. No, public floor. Yes. Yes. Okay. I guess I just think that those are similar. I'm maybe not. 
maybe they're not interchangeable. (laughs) You're like, I asked you to have this conversation with me when I saw you talking about biomechanics of a foot. And I think you're, I love the image that shows up online when it's like an x-ray of what's going into a high heel versus a foot. And then I just got to thinking about like the hip, back, knee pain, et cetera stuff. And I was like, can you please come and chat about this with me? Um, Mm -hmm. And you said yes. So anyway, Kelsey, let me just get back to the bio here. Kelsey is a chiropractor and also a certified athletic trainer. She's a professor at Dakota Wesleyan University. She teaches biomechanics to those in the Masters of Athletic Training program there. She's owned her own business for about nine years, and she's passionate about biomechanics and movement of the human body, especially the foot and ankle. So we're going to talk today about foot health and how it relates to back and knee and hip pain. And maybe I was feeling sensitive about this. I don't know if this is when I sent you the Instagram message, Kelsey, but in February, I was on my annual family ski trip and I tweaked my knee slightly going up. Anyway, I just had to lay there for a second and I was like, ouch, that hurts. And my small son was like, Hey mom, are you all right? And I was like, that's really sweet of you to wait for me. Everyone else left. (laughs) And I felt better as I moved. It was all good. I felt better as I moved and I skied the next day. Everything's been fine. Even like today I went to like do some stretches and it was painful. But my point is the reason I'm bringing it up is because I had that knee pain and I started to have, I had some stuff in my hip and I was like, this isn't good. I should probably get to uh chiropractic or physical therapy. So that's what I did. I knew that these were connected. So that's my, yes. that's my primer for today. For yes. My unnecessary story. Welcome back, Kelsey. <laughs> Welcome back. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes. I love the way the human body moves. I love learning about how the human body moves and I love connecting it. And I love teaching people how it's connected, especially when we start with the foot. And then we work our way up to really how this, the position of the foot will influence your pelvis, your low back and your hip and your knee and everything in there. And it's just pretty dang cool to see all that because it's really never just a, just a low back, right? Like everything is connected and I don't know everything. I've only, I talk about this to clients and maybe on a couple episodes, but like, this was really important to me. I thought I had a lower back. I would go back because I was like, oh, it must be from carrying around kids when my kids were little. And I changed my shoes, regular mm-hmm. tennis shoes to shoes without anything in the back. Like you had to, I had like, I've had to search far and wide for the proper shoes. It's been a not oh, yeah. like horrible. And yeah. It, and it's a, such it an expensive process. Yes. Oh, it was, it's yes. been really awful actually, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was ordering so many this fall and it was such an exotic, cause they're just not very common in the U S so you sometimes have to order them from like the UK and yes. just returning them. I was like, this blows. Like I'm totally just going to mm-hmm. buy from us brands. I was getting these Merrill ones and then like, it was like a full year before they were going to be back in stock. Anyway, we'll tangent about that later. First of all, how progressive is DWU for teaching for having a biomechanics class? I don't know if that's common, you know, as a, someone in, dietetics, you would think we would learn more about exercise and athletic training. That's not the case. They do a sure. little bit now, but yeah. I learned very little about human body movement to be perfectly in those... honest in college. Yeah. <laughs> so how progressive that you're teaching biomechanics. I don't know if that was automatic or if you pitched that. And so tell us what biomechanics is. Sure. So Dakota Wesleyan University's master's, well, first their, their athletic training program is one of the top programs in the country. Those students can run circles around what I learned in undergrad at a different university, which is really, really incredible. And now all athletic training programs are changing over to master's levels programs. So biomechanics is always a class. It's always been required for athletic trainers. It was taught there 
at Dakota Wesleyan by someone else before me, but I wanted to come in with a different approach. I wanted to break down every single joint from the foot to the top of the head and everything in between and how each joint moves. Because when you are a healthcare provider, when you understand biomechanics, which basically is how the body moves together in synchronization and what has to work, what has to fire and the neurological system comes with this as well. But when you learn how each joint works, you then know the injury and how to fix it, which is pretty profound because years ago it used to be like, oh, you have tendonitis. Oh, that's inflammation in the tendon of whatever joint there. You better ice it and you better wrap it up and you better like take some time off. Right now we know that that is not really how tendonitis works. We know there's some joint mechanics in there that are not correct. And so therefore we have too much loading within the tendon. So you have a better plan of correction or a corrective care plan. When you really understand biomechanics, I love biomechanics because just is so incredible in your patient care. And when you can educate them on how everything moves, then they start to care about how they move. And that means they're going to be way more compliant with the plan that you set forth for them to get them better. I have a lot of questions, but I have to go back first to you speak of uh, positive futures for us, right? Like, oh, Oh, yeah, definitely. But I need us to understand as people listening here, how do we find these people? I don't think we just find them right now because... And my brain's spinning a lot of directions because you're talking about this master's in athletic training. And I know that Mm -hmm. you have this athletic training background and it's kind of like my degree, it's moving toward a master's only, but that doesn't actually change the outcomes necessarily to be perfectly honest. And I don't know, I think, I think and feel, I think that's happening in, uh, I've heard from physical therapy that's happening in physical therapy, some different things Mm -hmm. anyway. And it's not really changing the outcomes. My point is where does someone go and find this athletic trainer? Because I think to myself, when you say, Oh, you have hinted at this. We have so many opportunities. I probably could say the same thing about so many things, but that's not going to, it's not what's going to be handed to someone on the platter. If they go into the provider's office, probably yet. Right. We're not quite there yet. Are we right? No, no, we're not quite. We're not there yet. Yeah. Unfortunately. I, I think, I think that's why, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So when I took over the the biomechanics class, I redid everything. I didn't take anything that the previous instructor had. I rewrote everything, which was incredibly time consuming, but so, so rewarding. I was just thinking about how much you're underpaid right now for that position. (laughs) (laughs) It was incredibly yeah (laughs) right but it's so rewarding to see these students thrive and to see these athletic trainers coming out into the world some of them are going to physical therapy school some of them are going to physician assistant school a few of them are going to be chiropractors but how much further ahead they are in their education of just how humans move right and so even when I was going through chiropractic school like a decade ago we had a biomechanics class and it was my favorite class. And it was really what connected my athletic training world to my chiropractic world. And I took that and I just went so in depth and much deeper and really to get these kids to understand it. So what my students will tell you is that my class is horrifically overwhelming and I try not to make it. I want them to understand it. I don't want them to be totally overwhelmed, but when you're going through every joint of the body, it can be very, very overwhelming. So we do a lot of repetition. 
stuff like that. But overall, how do we find these people? The internet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And because right now there's not like one platform where we can say, oh, here's this group of movement-based practitioners. Go look there. Yeah. True. I think hopefully we'll see that. That's like every yes. career, right? We have that in yes. career. People are like, how can I do that? I'm like, uh, you figure it out. You know, that's yeah, that's right. You, you have to like put yourself onto the internet with social media and do it well. And mm-hmm. hopefully people will find you. Dig around a little. People usually yeah. find you if you're doing good work. But what I heard you yeah. say was they're going out to become a lot of different things. They're not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, and my question is, do you find athletic trainers in a hot, like, do you find, where do you find athletic trainers? You would know this, like you have yeah. that degree. So were you planning to right. go to chiro school when you got that degree? Just curious. Yes. So I was always wanted to be a chiropractor, but I really wanted to do it through athletic training, which was not, it was not supported to be honest with you. When I was in undergrad, like a lot of the athletic trainers at Nebraska were like, what are you doing? We don't do this. We don't support chiropractors. So um, I went against the norm, but I wanted to be able to bridge that gap because when you're working with an athletic team, there's so much a chiropractor can help do with. And that was just not being seen in some of the sports at Nebraska, not all of them, but yes. So I always wanted to do that, but you're going to find athletic trainers mostly in a collegiate setting, but also employed by hospitals. And then they do outreach, which means they go to various small high schools. Problem is though, is that you're going to have one athletic trainer going to three different high schools. Mm -hmm. So their time is not spent on mechanics and correcting things it is spent on we're taping you to get you on the field or the court etc yeah i mean that's a whole conversation yeah yeah problematic whole conversation right like yeah another day another day yes injuries (laughs) right another day put that in our pocket for a later (laughs) podcast episode yeah I've also got down myths of core health, which I feel like we already did core health, but like you can't really do too much. So no, I don't think you can either. Athletic injury is just noting that for later. Okay. Back to biomechanics. So I had to get all those questions out. Thank you so much. Today I was seeing on your Instagram stories, you were making slides about what is a functional foot? Sure. And then how does health, you open this however you want, but like, how does foot health relate to maybe you need to say this first, how does hip health relate to like back, hip, knee pain, et cetera? Okay. So a functional foot is a foot that is able to become rigid to toe off that can become flexible to absorb shock when you're taking a step. But what we want, so, you know, years ago, you used to hear like flat feet are bad feet. That is not true. So what we want to see in a foot is that every time a person steps, we go from a rigid foot to a, then into a pronated foot, which absorbs shock and then back to rigid. So we can toe off. And when we have that sequence, that's what's important because the way that that assists the knees, the hips, and the low back and pelvis is extremely important. So for example, let's talk about our flat-footed friends, right? And they've always been told that they have terrible feet. So when a person cannot create an arch within their foot, they cannot supinate the foot or make it rigid, okay? So what happens then is the load goes through the medial knee, which is the inside knee, and it comes up through the medial hip and into the low back and pelvis. So that person would benefit greatly from strengthening exercises of the foot to the low back, like standard leg exercises, but we're going to give a lot more emphasis into the foot 
this is why it's so important because when we see shin splints or plantar fasciitis or these super annoying injuries that people get just because they're trying to be active and healthy, everything starts from the foot. So if we can start it that way and we can assess it that way, we just get there faster. And then the other side of the functional foot is the ability to offload shock and shock absorption and to be able to propel forward with hip extension and so forth. But for example, like the pelvis, if you've ever heard of the term anterior pelvic tilt, so this is literally where the bowl of the pelvis tilts forward and you're going to see a lot more lumbar lordosis, which is that lumbar curve. This is very classic to find in a flat footed individual who has a hard time creating an arch within the foot. So this is how it's all connected. I mean, when that foot has cannot resupernate or create that arch, we are going to start to stress the small, small facet joints in the low back. And that whole fascial chain that literally goes from your big toe to the opposite side cervical spine is impacted along the way. So every single tissue muscle that moves in between these two, you know, locations is going to be stressed simply because the foot cannot do its job. It's not functional. Okay. So we're going to talk about solutions here, but before we go there, you talked about some buzzwords, which was plantar fasciitis or however we say that. Yep. And and shin splints. And I know you just describe that more complicated, but will you just dumb it down for us a little bit to understand? Sure thing. So we, sure so, thing. So we can understand yes. why we could have these and how we could not have them. <laughs> right. So we'll start with the shin splints. Okay. Medical terminology for this is medial tibial stress syndrome. And essentially what's happening in these individuals is that their foot cannot create an arch. It's essentially too flat without me dogging on that person. Right. The stress, because they can't create that arch when they're walking and when they are just walking, for instance, not even running, is going to transmit up into these tissues and create a whole lot of inflammation. And then there is that front medial shin pain that they're getting or that front inside shin pain right behind that ankle bone or on the front, very front side of the lower leg too. So those individuals will do wonderfully with strengthening exercises of their lower extremity and then teaching them how to absorb shock while they're walking. And then we, you know, we can move that on into running too. But plantar fasciitis isn't necessarily just a flat footed individual's problem. What we see with plantar fasciitis is that the muscles in the bottom of the foot. So we have four layers of muscles on the bottom of the foot with 11 different muscles. And that is a lot of meat in such a small area. Mm. When we have weakness in those deep muscles, the fascia that sits over the top, that plantar fascia is stressed out of its max because now it has to produce the force because the muscles are not doing their job. So in a nutshell, that's what plantar fasciitis is. So they get tremendous fascial tightness pain at the, like they can pinpoint it on the bottom of the heel pain when they first get out of bed, the first 10 steps after walking or sitting are are pretty terrible, but then as they get going, they feel better. So those are two of the injuries that we commonly see in the lower extremity, but. Okay. Yeah. So what I heard you say was if you got plantar fasciitis, you need better foot muscles. Yeah. These people need foot 
strength, truly. And what a lot of plantar fasciitis individuals will tell you is that they will not go barefoot. Mm-hmm. They wear shoes yeah. all the time in their house. They have house shoes. They ha- like, or if they have an orthotic, it's constant. And the problem with that is you're never actually working your foot muscle because when you put your foot into a shoe, your shoe's doing the job now, doing the work for you. And most of these individuals are wearing a, a higher shoe, like a dance go, mm-hmm. something like that, like clog type. Mm-hmm. And what they really, we really have to work with them on is getting foot strength into that foot. So the flat plantar fascia is not so overwhelmed, but that's very painful for them. So they don't do it. Yes. So yes. The turnaround so it's a very, is, is the reason that this happened is be, probably because of foot shoes in the first place. Just yeah. Like, yes, it can be. And just, I mean, tight calf muscles can set this can definitely set this up, but most of the time it is just your foot is losing its strength over time. So in the bottom of one foot is 200,000 nerve endings and uh, over a hundred of those. So over half of those are just telling your brain where your foot is in space. Hmm. So that means for 11 muscles on the bottom of one foot, we have over a hundred nerves that are firing these muscles. Hmm. And if you're wearing shoes, while the, yeah, exactly. Right. So like, if you're wearing shoes constantly, look at the disconnection of the why I always describe it as a wire from your brain to your foot that you just cut through the wire. Your brain has no idea where your foot is in space. So why would it work muscles when the shoe has done it for you? Mm-hmm. But plantar fasciitis can be a horrific injury, horribly painful, and it can take a very long time to get this better. So we have to move slow with these individuals. But as you know, like working with them on, you know, anti-inflammatory food to help the healing process coming from a nutritional standpoint is really important for these people because most of them are highly inflamed individuals too. So got it. Okay. Yeah. Shin splints. Did I catch, you said strengthening the lower limbs overall. Yeah. Yeah. So the foot and reconnecting the wire from the brain to the foot, essentially to put it very clear and simple is like what those rehab sessions look like Mm -hmm. where we're getting that foot in the ground on the ground, barefoot, you know, no socks, no shoes working on that, that strength. Well, and I want to, we will go to this in a moment and I want to talk about like what we could do all day, but I also want to talk about turnaround time. Cause it's just, it's hard to mm-hmm. do things that are painful. And so if we have expectations yes. around it, I think that that can be helpful. But before we go there, you mentioned, I was just writing the best I could here, shin splits, their foot cannot create an arch. So let's talk about a little bit about foot shapes and arch in the barefooty world, you know, or the flat shoe yeah. world whatever shoe world that I'm in, they talk about, and I don't know if this is official or made up or whatever, but they talk about shoe arches being high volume, low volume. Are those real terms? Is that something that you're familiar with as well? This like has to do with that. I'm not familiar with those terms, but I I could see where they're using those in the barefoot well, or low flat shoe world. I could show you my foot, but just kidding. I think mine has like a, <laughs> mine seems to have a natural arch, but not everyone does. And so this is just like, is there anything we can do? Does it matter? Does it really matter? No, no, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Like what matters the most is the function. Like basically if a flat footed person, when they're about to, let's say they're walking and they're about to toe off of their big toe. What I'm looking for is, can they create an arch? I really don't care. Like if there is an arch and all at all, but I care like how big it is. I care. Can the foot lock before you step through and push off through your toe during the gait cycle. Some people 
I mean, it looks like their arch fires a little bit, but they can lock it really, really well. So I don't ever look at a foot and say, oh my gosh, you have a horribly foot just by someone standing there. I need to see it in motion. I need to see it during activity. So my assessment of it is usually having them walk and then like a repeated squats. Cause I want to see what happens when you, you know, are offloading and coming down deep into the squat and then calf raises. Mm-hmm. I want to see, can that foot, can it invert when it comes to the very top? Can they get off the ground? You know, if you can't do a calf raise, then it's really tough to walk. You should do so. video consults and biomechanics assessments for people when this podcast episode. Yep. So. I totally should. That's a great, yes. otherwise it's yeah. Like- how can we even access this person, right? So anyway, right. you got a little you got a little bit professional there to where I'm like, okay, I don't really understand that. This is what I understand <laughs> about foot health. What I understand no about foot health is what you should do all day, every day, right? Yeah. And I do want to talk about also bunions. I think it's relevant to talk about bunions and where those come from. And I know that there's some simple, and this would actually be a good segue into things that you can do all day long. Cause I know you use some tools in office for bunions, I believe, right? Yes. So yes. Talk about that. Okay, so bunions, most of the time with a bunion, what we find is that person's foot is way too flexible, which essentially means that they have almost no arch. They're very much rolled in or pronated. So the force is going through that first metatarsal phalangeal joint. And then the big toe will actually move outward or abduct. And then you're getting this bump on the inside of the foot. We see that really, really often in that quote flat foot community because of the stress that's going through that joint when they're walking. You can see it in a very like rigid, high, high arch person as well. And then working on that with individuals. But if I see bunions on both feet, this is a big indicator that we have a very internally rotated lower extremity from the ground up. And then they're going to have that forward pelvic tilt with more low back pain. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things, if I see it on one foot, then I'm wondering, okay, what kind of trauma and what kind of injury happened where this foot has a completely different mechanical system than the other foot. Most of the time I see it in both feet, but you know, once in a while it pops up in just one person's foot. The tool that I use is a correct toes. They are a toe spacer and they're very comfortable rubber and they help create that optimal alignment of the toes. So those that have bunions can really help and straighten that out. And also the, when you get the toe splay is the word for it. So basically like you have that space between your toes that the to- correct toes put there, then you automatically are activating those 11 muscles in the bottom of the foot. And that just feels like a really awesome, efficient way to work your feet when you're walking around your house doing laundry and dishes and picking up after your kids. Mm-hmm. But you can so wear your doing- shoes all day, can't you? Yes, there are some shoes where you can, like Lems and Ultra and Field Grounds and all those brands. Yeah. You're talking my brands now. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. These brands are, these are foot shaped shoes, foot shaped shoes. That's the difference. Not almond shaped shoes where you shove your toes in the front. So yes. So next weekend I'm teaching at the chiropractic conference all about the foot and how it relates to the spine. And I have this image of the very bottom of an ultra shoe Mm. compared to the very bottom of a Brooks ghost shoe, which is a really common and popular running shoe, but One looks like a foot and one looks like an almond. And it's pretty incredible to like see the difference to say like, 
which one do you think would be more comfortable? Well, I mean, if you have a runner and you see, you know, foot or mechanics issues or whatever, like, do you suggest that they go change their shoes so they can feel the ground or is that part of treatment or not really? So yes, I think that this is a great thing for them. But the thing about that, the running community is that when they find a pair of shoes, they're all in. Mm-hmm. So getting them to change out of a Brooks or, a, you know, a Brooks ghost or an A6 Nimbus or something like that is tough because they found the shoe that feels great to them. Mm-hmm. And when you ever you change a shoe, when you go from a common Brooks, Hoka, Ghost or A6 and you go into an Ultra or a Lems or something like that, there is a transition time here that we have to work with, especially because that Achilles tendon has never been that close to the ground before. Mm-hmm. So many times runners, recreational runners, like they don't want to do that. They just want to keep running competitive mm-hmm. runners that are looking for like longevity and foot strength. They're a little bit more compliant. So they will do that. Mm, interesting. But not during like a competitive season because they have to adapt to that. So I am standing on a little mat, you know, that's got some yeah. grooves. And so I'm exercising my feet. It's part of my work day to try to just absolutely make it happen you know yes but I also wear shoes where like they could feel rocks and things on the bottom Mm -hmm. I have very quite a bit of variety in those shoes they're all a little bit different and when we go hiking there's this person I hike with our exchange student she wears hiking boots and I've really monitored this my like nimble little barefoot shoes where I can feel everything I feel like a mountain goat I'm like never oh yeah and she's like constantly tripping and I'm like I just don't even understand like I get we're trying to protect our foot and I'm actually contemplating this myself because I'm working on a holy grail trip wait that's not even right I'm working on whatever like that max achievement is that you've wanted since you're 10 years old I'm working on that trip this hiking sure trip, and I'm like should I wear barefoot shoes that cover my ankles I don't really know because it's like such a I don't even know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm pondering this because like, why do we cover our ankles in hiking boots? No, like, I just don't know. Great don't question. What's the answer? Yeah. Like necessary? Oh, because you have to have ankle motion to have optimal foot, basically muscle activation. So a lot of those boots that come up all the way into that like lower leg, like they cross through the ankle, you're limiting how much that ankle to can dorsiflex. Okay. And that directly impacts your ability of your big toe to push off. And if you can't push off your big toe, you're going to push off the other four toes. And then it's just a matter of time before you've got massive foot pain, maybe even a Morton's neuroma, something like that, that really takes you out of there. So you can just see how like one change in a shoe pattern changes everything. Mm-hmm. Like it changes. Yeah. And what evidence really shows is if you cannot toe off that big toe, then what happens is you cannot get hip extension, which means you cannot activate the glute max. Now your low back, your lumbar spine is taking the brunt of this movement, whatever they're doing. Mm, so now you have back so, pain. And now you have back pain. And it's all from literally like the big toe is either not moving correctly or you're in a foot where that doesn't let it move correctly. Okay. We should yeah. probably talk about solutions. So we just talked about mat walking barefoot, like a strength. Yep. Maybe if someone has plantar fasciitis, they can only do this for a short period of time. Yes. Yes. Every day. And what's yes. the turnaround time going to look like on that six months? Depending on how long it's been present. Most of them have been present for a very, very long time. But if we can talk complete compliance and they're doing everything necessarily, and we're eating really good food, wholesome, healthy food, we can get this better quicker than you think. So 
most of the time, these chronic plantar fasciitis patients have found some kind of shoe that they live in. Like they do everything in this shoe except sleep and shower. And so getting them to come out of that to get their foot functional again is a really hard sell because they don't want to go back there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sure. Just curious. So in general, for us strengthening our feet, if someone's not ready to like change shoes, you can also like roll your foot around on balls. Those are all the only things I know. I have a mat. Yes. Roll my foot yep. around on this like little lacrosse ball. Like yes, lacrosse ball is a great ball. Really good. Or a, you know, you could do like a little tennis ball or something, probably. But yes. whatever you can do, like there's all kinds of fancy tools. But like that's probably mm-hmm. the cheapest, easiest thing that you could do every day. I used to have yeah. balls in my office for this purpose. They walk away. It's funny. It's like they grow <laughs> legs and they walk away. But anyway, right? what else could people be doing every day? Because what you're doing, what I've learned through my own journey is that what you're doing all day makes a much bigger difference than what you're doing for like 10. So what's yes. That? What can you yes. do? So I think walking barefoot or walking with socks on, like just getting your foot in contact with the ground without a shoe for some period of time through the day is going to be helpful. That chronic plantar fasciitis patient literally might do this for two minutes in a day where they just walk two minutes at home. And then someone else can do it the whole entire day. Using a ball to roll is a really, really great tool to help with the plantar fascia tension. And then getting your foot into a foot-shaped shoe. Those are going to be your top three. Like you really don't even have to do any other specific exercises. If you can incorporate those daily, your feet and your entire lower extremity chain is going to feel so much better. Mm -hmm. Like your back is going to feel so much better. So those would be my top three. And then individually with patients, we work like the, you know, you work out the little kinks and more individual stuff. Those are my top three. Yeah. We had an episode with Anya from Anya's shoe reviews Mm -hmm. a while back. And so that would be an episode to refer to for a foot shaped shoe. And I'll just mention, I think it can be a little overwhelming. So I started and I'm just going to share, even though I shouldn't name drop brands, just to try to make it easy because I don't want people to have to deal with the stuff I dealt with. Yeah. Merrill trail gloves and I have a higher arch and those worked really great. And then I went to vapor gloves, which were much more touching the ground. So uh, you almost have a transitional shoe. So the yeah. The trail glove was first. That's really similar. I've tried the Lems. Those are a really great transitional shoe. They're out of Colorado. I think they're made. Yep. Probably not actually made there, but that's really great because they're local. Not everyone. The Primal 2 would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? Ultra. Ultra. Yes, that's yep. easy to get. I have not tried Ultras. I think they can be a transitional shoe as well. A-L-T-R-A, right? Yep. I have a pair. I love these. I love them. Like I work in them all day long. Mm-hmm. And then I got my 10-year-old a pair of the kids' Ultras. And I don't remember specifically what kind he has, but anyway, he loves them. Like he's not complaining about foot pain or anything like that. And we were doing a lot of stuff at home, but ultimately he brought his old ASIC to me and his pinky toe was coming through the mesh. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, literally your foot is too wide for this shoe. Mm -hmm. So we need you to be into a foot shaped shoe. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I feel like you can't even get boy shoes or they're just like total trash anyway and they die. And like, yeah, so yeah. Better to definitely. So those are some American yes. brands that I think of off the top of my head. There are some like, I think Vivo Barefoot, you can... I don't love Amazon, but you can get Groundies and Bebo Barefoot. You can get some from, and they're a little easier to procure. And I feel like those are both slightly like for a lower arch, but I'm just going to throw those out there because it was kind of hard for me. And so if I can be slightly helpful and save anyone some time. Yeah, absolutely. 
because that way you don't have to work so hard at it. Because once you start going down the rabbit hole of learning more about them, you kind of need to be sold before you get there, I think. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's frustrating and it's very expensive. It can be, right? But if you start with these American brands, which you can probably order and then return and they're transitional. So that trail glove from Merrill, which has real stock issues at the moment, but it's coming back in a stock next month. Thank you, supply chain ultras and then <laughs> Lems Primal, which I need to support Lems Primal out of Colorado too. Those are all yeah. great options. So gosh, did we miss any? I'm sure we missed like a ton of stuff. Is there any like parting words or, or thoughts like you think we should for sure cover when we're talking about foot biomechanics and affecting every key every other place? Sure. So one thing that I always say to patients who basically have come to the conclusion that their foot always hurts, they're always going to have this problem and it's just, you know, who they are. Mm-hmm. I always ask them the question, what are you going to do when your feet won't work anymore? Like, how is that going to impact your life? Are you going to go do the things that you want to do? Are you going to go? Are you going to travel? Are you going to do places? And usually that kind of stops them and they just think about it. And I always say, this is why it's so important to reconnect the brain to the foot and to get these areas to work again and to become functional so that when we are senior citizens, we are not having massive balance issues by just being in our house, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like in my world, like the foot is extremely important and people that have foot pain, it's important because it bothers them. But I hope to educate people on just thinking about how your foot moves throughout the day so that you can consciously be aware of your body's movement, right? Well, you bring up a good point. I think I've heard, like I've had people who have had foot surgery and it's been really tough for them. Do you have any like yeah. encouragement for that person? Yes. Yeah. For the post-surgical foot world, like there's still a lot of things that we can do. It will take a little bit longer and some more patience, but working with a doctor practitioner who's a functional foot, you know, movement expert is going to be key number one. For those that maybe they're contemplating a some type of foot surgery, my thoughts would be like, get multiple opinions Mm -hmm. before you do that. So in terms of the fascial system through the whole body, right, not just the foot, but when we have surgery, what research is showing is that you lose about 16% of efficiency through the fascial tissues when you cut the tissues in a surgery. So that means we're losing 16% of our neurological impact from the brain to whatever was just cut open. Mm. So in addition to having now weaker muscles because of that and having to rehab and all that stuff, now we have no awareness of the foot or, you know, whatever injuries happen. So what I want the listener to do is please share this with a friend because I'm titling it to hit the people who have these pain issues because that's going to be who's most motivated. But to be honest, this is really, it's, this is always the case. It's like, could we prevent this before there's an issue for everyone? Else? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even I, absolutely. We were, you and I were both motivated by pain too. It was like, it was just nagging. It was like, ah, I got to stretch out my back. Yes. But sure. Yeah. I, I like my life better without it. That's nice. Yes, I'll absolutely. I'll buy different absolutely. shoes for that. <laughs> Unapologetically. Yes. So, right. Where can people find you online? Instagram at Dr. Kelsey Dobish, all one word. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Kelsey Dobish, D-C-A-T-C-M-S. And then my website is dobishkyro.com. Perfect. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's 
reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.